Alrighty, guys, welcome to the Plant Podcast. This is episode three. We have a very special guest. We have Will uh, from Primabolics, who's going to be joining us to talk about um, all things um, uh, botanicals. And it's going to be a really cool podcast where we dive deep into some of our favorite, um, our favorite herbs and, and things that come from the earth that help us to you know, increase vitality, um, increase, um, you know, uh, the, the way that we, you know, control our cortisol levels, how we try and relax, um, how we get into parasympathetic, but also how do we boost our performance, um, through training and sleep and all these types of really cool things. So, um, uh, how it also affects our hormones and our microbiome at the same time. Um, also the processes that we, extract these um these really really cool botanicals um which uh, these guys are experts in and i'm just an expert in taking these things so <laughs> that's pretty much it so uh, welcome welcome will um what's cracking mate i am um, i'm thrilled on this one because i think it's, it's very rare we get the opportunity to talk about how beneficial some of these um i suppose botanicals can be in helping people with i suppose very very common handbrakes that, that i see with people right i, th- I think it's uh some of the ones that we're excited to dive in today on I think are some of the most universally helpful and beneficial things we can probably recommend you know and I think where you you touched on it there very briefly and I hope we can dive in later but how um, I suppose that, you know, that, that parasympathetic state and spending more time in that state and how some of these herbs can help that how that flows on directly to performance and recovery and what that can do for listeners is going to be um, I think some of the best value we can we can hope to give really so um, yeah man I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to crack in absolutely yeah, man. And the, the herbs that you guys, I got a text in that saying, hey, you guys want to talk about these particular herbs? And I was like so stoked because the combination of herbs that we're going to discuss today, they are really good for most people. Um, but it's really great topic to discuss how they work. Um, I, want to, I really want to get into the, like, the mechanisms of action of them so people can understand what's actually happening because we're learning so much. I mean, these things have been used for thousands of years, but even in the last five years we've learned so much more about how these herbs are working so well and again relating back to that microbiome but we talked about you know will mentioned parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system what we're looking about is these herbs have a remarkable ability to help balance out between our survive and our thrive nervous system they'll help us to have an efficient survival response where we can launch an immune defense or launch a uh, survival response in a physical um in a physical sense, you know, like punch something or run. Um, and then um, how we can also switch that off and then get back into the thrive mode where we can regenerate and repair. In our, in our body, I mean, we, we're pretty much at any point in time, we're either in a, a survival mode where we're putting all of our resources into just trying to survive through an immediate stress or putting all of our resources into just surviving the day. And in that mode, everything else switches off. I mean, you, there's no point having reproductive hormones. There's no point having libido and wanting to stop and shag. There's no point doing digestion, detox, and you know, all that sort of stuff and sleep and everything if we're in a survival mode because you may not last the day. Who cares about any of that other stuff? All the resources goes into survival. So the herbs that we're talking about, between them, they can actually create a really great adaptogenic response that helps you to adapt to the stresses and that's where we talk about these adaptogenic herbs that if you're up and anxious or overstimulated they'll calm you down but if you're down and flat and exhausted or something they'll pick you up and and they all work on totally different mechanisms which is so cool because some things work by 
forcing your body to slow down and balance, like a sedative or something. But some other things work, like as Will said, by removing the handbrakes and taking the burden off the stress nervous system to allow your body to thrive. So when we talk about these herbs, it's going to be so cool to see how they all work and you'll work out which ones are right for you. That's so cool. Yeah. So just to begin, um, just to dive into a little bit of your background, Will, um, what? How did you? How did your company start? Maybe give us a brief intro to yourself and the company that you run and, and what you do and what you guys are looking to um, looking to achieve and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. So my background, I was actually, funny enough, a geologist and environmental scientist, weirdly enough, in, in, uh, in mainly in mining at the start. That's what my um, background in sort of environmental chemistry was where I began um, with my, my sort of degree. Uh, and I said, but I'd always in the background, always loved love training, always loved fitness, and I suppose uh, I always like uh, I suppose diving a bit deeper behind what was on the panel on some of these things. I, and the good thing about supplements is they're they're a felt effect thing, right? They have they have a, a tangible. You take a pre worker, you take a fat burner, you take a sleep aid, what have you. You have a felt effect, and I always really love going. Well, what? Why would I take this pre workout at this one and have a completely different experience? Why would I take this particular sleep aid versus this one have completely different felt effects? What was different? And I'd start you know, flipping over the panel and actually going, well, maybe we read into this. And this was, uh, I registered Primebolic Nutrition, which is the company that I run now at um, August 15th. So we're talking seven years ago. And seven years ago, the market was dominated by um, a lot of large American brands in the sports supplement space that were very overmarketed but underdosed. Everything was proprietary blended, so there was no disclosure on what the actual active ingredients were dosed at. Um, or what quality those active ingredients were. Uh, and I suppose the actual like, efficacious dosing for us didn't exist in our space. And a lot of things were sort of quite behind. And I, I think I, where I came at it from was that I was, I suppose, my, my uh, I came from a very, I suppose, uh, not as active, more, more, I was actually quite overweight as a kid. My two brothers, though, were just genetic freaks, right? So I got three of us. And I, I was the classic endomorph. I could look at food and put on weight. My two brothers were actually just walking sets of abs. Like they were just year round, just peeled. They didn't even lift a weight. They didn't watch what they ate. And it's the exact same nature, exact same nurture, same parents, same genetic material, same farm we grew up on, same food every day. And they were entirely different animals. And I was like, how can they be, how, how can they have the same genetic material, same diet, same lifestyle, same place, and have such different end results? And they got me looking more so down. Well, what was you know what are the things that influence that what's you know what's this what's our, how does the metab what is the metabolism how does that what what is metabolism what how's that defined how's the basal metabolic rate actually function how does oh thyroid okay cool how's the thyroid function you know how, how does that start going and I started going down these rabbit holes but I suppose at the time the sports industry was more all about pre workouts and fat burners and how to you know and heavy stimulants and how to jack people up as much as we could and none of them were sort of looking at that sort of space. So I, I sort of, when I started formulating, which took a few years after I left my sort of, you know, eventually, long story short, got to a point where I could start, I wanted to start formulating, had the courage to start formulating for myself. Um, by that point, I sort of came at it from a different angle, you know, like my, my initial products were, well, my first ever pre was a non-stim in an era where everything was DMAA based or DMHA based or, you know, like these brutal, big, like the Jack 3D era, I was putting out a non-stim as my only product on the shelf. And, you know, and, and looking at, you know, when my fat burner was, you know, looking at things like uncoupling with like calcium pyruvate and white kidney bean for blocking. So it was like, I was always looking at things really different, human for information. I was looking at different things like back then. So I've always sort of looked at it just not as like your classic bro, I suppose. I do have a background in competitive bodybuilding, but I always look at it a bit differently. And I suppose past 40 now, I've learned, the more I've looked at it differently, I've realized the things that were always the priority that I should have looked at first were, these, were the things that are upstream of where I was focusing. Everyone's looking at how can we burn an extra 1% during our training session, right? Or how can we increase that? But even someone like yourself, James, who's an elite athlete, your, TD, your, your you know, total daily energy expenditure, the actual exercise component of that might be 
20%, 25% of your total PDE, mm. you know, like actual exercise-based caloric burn might be, yeah, maybe 20, 25%, even when we're really crashing it out. And so but the other 75% is all is what's responsive to this, you know, to thyroid function, to stress, to you know, how optimal is our, you know, how optimal is our testosterone status, our estrogen, you know, but, so I'm like, why am I, why is everyone looking at the small piece of the pie? Why isn't everyone looking at what's making this stuff actually work? What's upstream of calories in, calories out? What's upstream of it? So that got me sort of, you know, formulating quite differently. And initially it took a while to kick off, but now finally it's, I've got a really great team behind me and I'm really blessed to have a, um, an awesome impact now in the industry and really, you know, do a lot of talks and stuff on this space. But where I love that you guys are going is, and the opportunity to talk today is I think, the ability to talk about what's common with a lot of people. And I think if I look at all the hormones that have issues with people, we can look at PCOS, endometriosis, we can look at suboptimal testosterone in guys. But I think the most common one is where we're looking at first is adaptogens is stress and its impacts, right? Like the, like the parasympathetic versus sympathetic, the cortisol issues that I see with everyday people is what I'm the most passionate about nowadays. So being able to come on here and chat like this is, is bloody brilliant. I'm, I'm really, really grateful to be able to do so. Oh, can I give some, so basically for the people out there, we've mentioned like the survive and thrive and parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, but <coughs> excuse me. So what people, how do I know, like if I am sympathetic or whatever, it's not just about whether you care for others. <laughs> yeah. I think that's sympathy, but anyway, um, so um, what you'll find is, so for example, like I mentioned earlier, we're either in survive mode or thrive mode. So the survive mode runs through this thing. The sympathetic nervous system is our nervous response to stress. Okay. So that we, our brain picks up on this data or our body, I shouldn't say brain, our body picks up or our aura. I don't know. This is where I get confused, but we get signals that come through that our body will perceive as a stress signal and it'll drive our nervous response to stress, which is immediate. The immediate, the nervous response to stress um, does um, long-term memory, um, gut instincts and intuition. It helps with far vision um, and helps to keep you awake and it helps to keep you alert. Um, they're all the things that will help you with a survival response. Um, physically, it'll bring your traps up. So you lock up your traps. It'll make you frown. Your head goes forward. You come onto the balls of your feet. So your center of gravity moves forward. So you're ready to either fight or flight and that sort of stuff. So we get a lot of physical changes. It shuts down the vagus nerve, which does all of our digestion and everything. So basically, the sympathetic nervous system, the way to know if, if you're in it, gut instincts, intuition, long-term memory, like you're thinking all the time, you're running on autopilot, but you still forget what you went into the room for, you know, that mm -hmm, sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. You're wired, but you're tired, you know, so you can stay awake and really alert. The parasympathetic nervous system, which is basically, as opposed to fight or flight, it's our rest and digest. So the rest and digest nervous system um, drives through the vagus nerve, that'll keep the, the blood into the stomach. Because our gut wall, you know, 400 square metre surface area requires a lot of blood. So it shuts down that blood supply to take the blood to your muscles and brain during a survival response. So the parasympathetic does short-term memory, concentration span, focus and attention to detail and close vision. The ability to see up close and analyse. as a, That's not helpful during a survival. You're looking for the horizon, you know, or an exit. Um, so the parasympathetic also does sleep. But it's also the one responsible for digestion, detox, hormones, okay? So if we're stuck with the sympathetic nervous system driving constantly and the parasympathetic never gets a chance to work, we always talk about, you know, that darkness can only exist in the absence of light. So we, it's basically, by default, the stress nervous system will run <laughs> if there's any triggers there, you know? So that's our way that we survive. 
the sympathetic nervous system is the one that act, it's part of the HPA axis. So the hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis. So then the hormonal response to stress occurs. It takes about 10 seconds for cortisol to come out after stress, which is why they tell you, you know, count to 10 before you punch someone and run. Or they say that to Will. <laughs> uh, that, that, um, so, the, so where do you find the the cortisol then comes out and cortisol's job is not to be make you more stressed like a lot of people think uh, cortisol's our stress hormone cortisol's actually our anti-stress hormone and cortisol's supposed to come back and switch off our nervous response to stress and let the body know that we've had a stress response the things that drive our stress response usually include things like the immune system um, or other emotional stresses or inflammation, pain, cortisol also goes back and suppresses the immune system, switches off inflammation. That's why they make drugs out of cortisol, like prednisone, that you use when you're really sick to take away your pain and your immune. So what we're saying is we're stuck in that nervous system. Now, what I want to talk about is how these herbs all work about balancing that because what we've found is if we're stuck in the sympathetic nervous system and our adrenal glands constantly pumping out cortisol and cortisol's constantly coming back to your brain saying, chill, we're all cool, but at the same time as another stress trigger comes in, your body becomes resistant to that cortisol. It goes, man, I can't listen to you. Like It's like you're sitting in a pit of snakes or something like that. You get a big stress reaction. Immediately you get everything you need to jump out of that pit of snakes and you land into a pit of spiders and cortisol's floating around saying, chill, you're fine. It's like, no, no, we've got another stress here. We're going to go again. So and the problem is, is our body doesn't know the difference between the phone ringing, electromagnetic radiation, watching the news, social media, uh, memory, uh, memory of a trauma, or just a, 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 or winning that or losing that argument in your imagination while you're driving to your next meeting. You know what I mean? It's like they're the sort of things that will keep your stress nervous system going. So with the world that we live in, which is a relatively toxic soup compared to what we should be, you know, living in, um, we constantly have stress triggers. So these adaptogenic herbs that might take the burden off our stress nervous system by helping our immune system or take the burden off our nervous system by regulating toxicity levels or um, oxidative stress or inflammation, they can all take the burden off our stress response so our nervous system and our hormonal stress response can calm and then the parasympathetic nervous system can kick in, and then the HPA axis, which is the adrenal one, can shut the hell up for a little bit, and then the gonadal axis, the HPG, that does all your hormones and regulates your menstrual cycle for James, and then we get the um, and then the thyroid. We'll have the thyroid systems. They all get to kick in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, that that probably leads us into our first. Um, the first herb that we want to talk about, and that's Tonkadali. Oh yeah! So I know, oh, so I know, I know. <laughs> you both of you guys have um, have talked about this um, multiple times in in terms of being a, a really cool thing and things that you like to formulate with. So let's just rip into that. Tell us a little bit about Tonkadali. Well, we can't reproduce. We can't tell all of the Tonkadali stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Like, uh, <laughs> it's it's also known as Malaysian Viagra and puts a horn on a jellyfish. It's amazing and stuff. Um, but that's not what we're talking about today. Um, the thing I love about Tonkat Ali is that when I first saw this wicked study when they used Tonkat Ali at night and it actually dropped cortisol release through the evening significantly. I think it was dropped it by 15 to 20%. Um, but then what it did is it actually increased the adrenal production of DHEA the next morning. So... What that basically does is Tonkadali tells your adrenal gland it backs off the cortisol 
and said, stop pumping out the cortisol, stop driving this HPA axis and let the gonadal axis work for a change. So it actually drops the cortisol and tells your body, I don't care how stressed you are, there's time for shagging. And that's what I love about Tom Cadoli. <laughs> I love it. I love and, it. And I'll see this with a lot of the herbs we're going to talk about today. The nice thing is they both have this. It, it, it became very apparent that there's this nice feedback loop between all the hormones when I started looking at some of these adaptogens we're going to talk about today. And you see it with um, the exact same relationship, almost like percent to percent, with Tonkatale as you do with Ashwagandha as well, where you get, like, I think it was 30, the amount that increased that, that free testosterone. Um, you know, it was about 37% when it was using 200 milligrams twice a day. and then, But it also decreased cortisol. I think it was 16% or 17% was the amount that it decreased cortisol too. So we see this increase in testosterone when we see a decrease in stress. And if we see an increase in stress, we see a decrease in test. So inversely, you know, these, these it really nicely illustrates in the body how these, you know, complementary mechanistic pathways work. You know, you, you can't have an optimal testosterone profile when you have rampant stress through the roof. You know, we, we get, like, like Matt said before, you know, we don't want to, um, reproduction is our know, top priority when we're in flight or fight, right? That's not congruent to, to our current sort of survival. So it only makes sense it would downregulate production. And we see this in women too. Like we're talking about guys here and, and um, you know, obviously libido and, and all the great things that it can do when it shifts gears between being, you know, sympathetic or not. But I think also in, in, um, in women, this thing, stress also drastically influences estrogen as well. Um, and I suppose it influences um uh, I, I suppose, and Tomcat's one of those things that's gender neutral too, which is nice. You can use it mm. in, in women as well to stimulate, to help, to help balance out some fun bits. So I, I like it for the fact that it can be both um, use, useful in two applications, both in guys and girls. But in guys, like you said, Matt, really taking that priority out of with the, with that HPA axis off that, you know, pushing all that pregnenolone down towards cortisol. You know, like let, let's put all of our resources in that boat, and then and, yeah, not worry about burn the burn the boats for everything else. You know, if we've got all these. Our body's going, well, the environment's full of stresses. We're constantly on edge. We've constantly got these you know, stress triggers we have to deal with. Um, you know, it's, it's currently pushing all the resources down that adrenal pathway to fuel that cortisol production to switch off that, that stress response. Well, that obviously causes imbalances in other areas. So that same hormone, same parent hormone, right? Pregnenolone's your, your sort of you know, your parent chemistry, cholesterol, pregnenolone, DHA, and so on. If you've got this one parent hormone to do all this other work, you know, thyroid hormones, adrenal hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, well, you start pulling resources down the adrenal way you're, you're robbing you know peter to pay paul you're, you're taking you know all that resource off the you know, sex hormone pathways you're pulling a thyroid hormone and you you start impacting these other ones and where tomcat's wicked is, is being able to shift priorities you know i think it has a really nice ability to sort of start saying we're stressed but we got this it's cool we still need to prioritize reproduction we still need to produce optimal amounts of testosterone and so on and um Bring up, you know, leading that, that high free testosterone and that high sperm production. Matt, you'd be a good one to embellish on, um, I suppose, mechanistically how, how it sort of improves free testosterone. Do you see that as, I suppose, an SHBG um, sort of mechanism? Or what, what, where yeah. do you see that being? Yeah, That's so I'll put it down to anyway. Yeah, so Tonkadali lowers the sex hormone binding globulin, which means you've got less of that testosterone bound up. Um, and you've got more free testosterone to be active. And that's what makes it also gender neutral as a test booster um, because it can increase the amount of free activity of testosterone as opposed to a lot of other herbs that might be used that way. Um, they'll often increase estrogen in women and testosterone in men, but Tonkadali and fenugreek are the two that work really well for women to increase their androgen activity, you know? Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. So when you have a look at that Tonkadali, um, We'll mention the, the pregnenolone pathways and that. So basically, when you have a look at the adrenal gland, I mean, cortisol, which is our stress hormone, it's catabolic. It breaks things down. 
Um, it blocks serotonin. It's got a lot. It, it creates insulin resistance, higher blood sugar. It does a lot of things as well when we have too much of it. Um, so it's made from exactly all your hormones are made out of cholesterol. Okay, so cholesterol converts through to either cortisol um, via the pregnenolone or goes down to the DHEA. And often what we'll look at when we look at trying to work out if someone's like leading towards adrenal exhaustion or if they've got these adrenal maladaptation syndromes and shit like that, we'll often measure the ratios between cortisol and DHEA um, to know whether someone's going down the cortisol stress catabolic pathway or whether they've got any resources left to make DHEA. And DHEA then goes on to make, you know, progesterone, testosterone, estrogen. So all your hormones, your adrenals make a lot of hormones. And when you come in towards perimenopause or when you get anywhere mid-30s um, onwards and that your adrenal glands are having to compensate for a lot of the hormonal deficiencies in the gonads, especially if the gonadal tissue has been switched off for a long time because you've been under chronic stress. So then the adrenal glands sitting there going, man, we got, I don't have enough resources to keep this cortisol coming out 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if I can't have enough resources to make cortisol and cortisol is my survival, then there's no way it's going to shuttle resources into DHEA and then your other hormones. So this is why the adrenal gland is so important at regulating your hormones. Not only is it going to be determining to a certain degree the body priorities and whether hormones are even a priority, but it actually will block the resources from going there. And this is where Tonkadali is brilliant. And the other thing I love about Tonkadali, when you use it at night in a big dose, to force that cortisol down to give you a really good deep sleep, Typically what happens, like I said, it turns you into a sexual Tyrannosaurus. So you have this stuff at night, then you have like awesome shagging and then you get all those nice shagging chemicals coming out that tells your body, obviously I'm not under that much stress because if I was you know, hiding or fighting right now, I wouldn't be doing this. So it's like, it's another way of teaching your body. It's almost like meditation to say, look, I'm not stressed. My brain might be getting data from everything, but obviously I'm okay. You know, so that's important part of these things, and that will actually help you to sleep, and that as well. So that's why Tonkadali is wicked. You have like awesome sex before, and then you have a great sleep, and then you wake up with your adrenals pumping out DHEA in the morning, along with enough resources for cortisol, which is all anti-inflammatory, and gets you up feeling good in the morning. Yeah, that's cool. And touching on cortisol now in particular, I think one particular herb that we're going to talk about today is probably most well connected to the adrenal. Um, you know, lowering that cortisol, getting us into parasympathetic and nurturing that um, nurturing that parasympathetic nervous system and that uh, rest and digest, which is ashwagandha. Oh, yeah, nice. So yeah, I know this yeah. one is quite popular, especially in like um, adrenal adrenal supplementation. Um, but give us a bit of an idea on, on how ashwagandha actually works in the body to help nurture this aspect as well, yeah. um, tacking on, and if it does work synergistically with Tonkat Ali. 100%. I just quickly pump out my version of it <laughs> so with ashwagandha um what it does while we're talking about the cortisol so where tonkadali drops cortisol and increases increases adrenal dha in the morning when we mentioned earlier we have the hpa axis that does our stress response we then have a hpg axis that does our testosterone estrogen and you know hormones and then we have a hpt axis which runs through our thyroid this is the wicked thing about ashwagandha Yes, it, draw, it slows down or it modulates or helps the HPA axis to calm down, but it specifically drives the HPG axis and the HPT axis. So when we find that our adrenal axis is overworked, ashwagandha will come in again, just like Tonkadali says there's time for shagging. 
ashwagandha comes in and says, we still need to have a menstrual cycle, you still need to have a regular menstrual cycle, and we still need to support your thyroid gland. And it actually, again, helps to calm down the HPA axis survival response and stimulate our thrive via our HPG, via our gonadal hormones and via our thyroid hormones. So what you'll find as a summary for ashwagandha is it can lower cortisol, but it can increase testosterone, increase estrogen, increase thyroid. Wow. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And that's the, the, I'm glad you mentioned the HPT part because thyroid is, as I, as I get further and further down rabbit holes, I keep finding how, how amazing the thyroid is and how therapeutic it can be when it's you know, functioning optimally, which is quite rare now. I think it's you know, one in three women that are clinically hyperthyroid you know, is, is sort of the, you know, what they're sort of estimating. And I think it's one in seven in men are, are considered to be subclinically hyper, um, have you know, subclinical hyperthyroidism as well. So subclinical is in itself, they're, they're, they're not picking up in blood because the TSH range is so huge, but they get it, they're still having the symptoms of, of having a sluggish thyroid, of having a slow metabolism, right? And, and I think the where I started putting ashwagandha in fat burners earlier on was, was for that reason, was trying to, one, I found that the industry was sort of trying to push out very high stim thermogenics, and they were trying to stimulate the central nervous system to run faster and burn more calories through that sort of pathway. Um, but people are, are already so overstimulated, overcaffeinated, underfed, over, you know, overworked, that when you throw this, it's just put more fuel on the adrenal fire, right? On that, on that, you know, putting more stress responses into your day. You know, and so I started making like my first fat burner was like 100 megs of caffeine only, and it was all, uh, you know, very. I had 300 megs of ashwagandha in there. There was, there was, it was all about trying to put the handbrakes on and try and look at, particularly that thyroid focus. My, my fat burners have always been very thyroid focused, and it was like zinc, selenium, iodine alongside ashwagandha to help modulate that thyroid axis because that was what in my instance why my brothers for example were, were such um you know they were very ectomorphic and i was endomorphic was purely that i went went and did um had a look at bloods and my tsh was technically normal despite the range being massive um but my started doing basal body temperature charts and looking at symptom pictures and it, and it was um end up being quite sluggish right a very sluggish thyroid so started looking at how to what that can do and when i started shifting body fat really quickly i noticed that was, i saw how powerful this thing can be so when when we're talking about ashwagandha being great for the adrenal focus a lot of people overlook its amazing ability to sort of you know also take that handbrake off what stress will do to your metabolism which is which is cook it um into, yeah. you know, and it'll do so by i suppose a few ways reverse t3 is one way with that high cortisol we basically it binds up and slows down the way that our body optimally would function with our thyroid you know humming along and burning calories and doing all the great things it does so um, really good on you, Matt. Thanks for touching on that one because I think it, it's been popularized lately. Hey, it's been purely this cortisol only herb, but it does so much more on, and like Tonka, right? Tonka was 37% increase in free testosterone, 16% in quarter, decrease in cortisol. Well, ashwagandha is similar, right? It was 300 milligrams used twice a day, increased, um, sorry, decreased cortisol by 32, but it increased testosterone by 15%. It's almost the exact same number 32, 15, 30, you know, 37, mm. 16. It's like nearly number for number the same you know, sort of, you know, shift in, uh, in, and we see that same relationship. You drop stress, you get high test. And it's, it's a really potent herb for that. And the thyroid too. So what people don't realise is the ratios between testosterone and estrogen massive. You mentioned earlier that one in three women uh, may have subclinical hypothyroidism. It's not surprising that testosterone can increase the conversion of T4 to T3 by seven to eightfold compared to women in their liver just because of the testosterone exposure. Um, so testosterone is a mess. So maybe this is a problem, that w- the, what I love about herbs. So if you actually have a look at the fact that Tonkat Ali and ashwagandha work differently, so you can stack them together and get a synergistic effect. Um, but then if you realise that, how does withania work? I mean, really, which comes first and doesn't really matter. 
because the point is, is it drops cortisol, which allows these other hormones to go, or maybe it drives those other hormones, which actually helps to drop the cortisol. Mm. So testosterone will allow cortisol to be more efficient, so you'll get a better release, and then it switches it off faster. Estrogen actually blocks the negative feedback of cortisol, so, so you'll get your good stress response, not as aggressive as the testosterone-induced stress response, but it just lingers. You just can't let the bloody thing go. So if you've got an estrogen-dominant brain, then you can't stop thinking. You had testosterone, you just fire up and then you're over it. Um, well, yeah, well, that's that's super interesting, and especially what you touched on there, Will, was that so for so long, the fat burners that were, you know, pumped into the system and into the market and what was put in front of people due to media was let's just fire these people up even more. So people are dumping tons of high stim pre-workouts with stacking them with high stim fat burners. And these people are just pumping through their heart rates are going through the roof. They're sweating like crazy and it's escalating their, their stress response more and more and more and more. But really I think what we're looking for here is, you know, yes, you need to work out because you want to get a certain result, but you also need to work in to make sure that you're maximizing your testosterone. If you're constantly highly stressed and highly stimulated and all these things are going on, you know, shifting that fat might turn out to be a lot harder. So instead of, you know, pumping yourself full of caffeine and, um, and f fat burners that are, you know, stimulating in that respect, working yourself in a little bit more and, and relaxing so yes get the get the adaptation from the um from the working out that you're doing and the you know the sprint training or the swimming or the uh, weightlifting or whatever it may be but then once that's finished figure out a solution and this might not even come down to you know just popping a capsule but maybe do some breath work once post exercise just to down regulate yourself unplug a little bit um put yourself in nature somewhere and bring that stress response down so you can actually allow you know the um uh, you can allow the effects that you've done in the gym to actually work their magic in the back end and you adapt there once you're resting and recovering um, maximizing that sleep maximizing um, the food you eat maximizing the hydration and all these things that play an impact on how well we can metabolize that fat if that's what you're looking for and that goal so the the relaxation part of it is um, probably what we should be focusing on a little bit more rather than just constantly trying to, you know, paddle upstream and, and, and heighten ourselves constantly. Yeah, we use that analogy all the time about the handbrakes and pushing the throttle. So we know what happens in a car if, if you if you rip the handbrake on at the same time as you're pumping the throttle. I mean, you just sit there and you spin tyres. Like you're just wasting resources and not getting anywhere. Yeah. And so the whole, this is what we're talking about, it's, Unless you've removed the handbrake, break, there's no point pushing the bloody throttle. And and in most cases, like especially with athletes, bodybuilders, mums, people that are struggling to get results that are going around talking to coaches and like searching and researching, these people are often pushing the throttle plenty. You know, it's not that I'm trying, not trying hard enough. Half the time you've just got to remove the handbrake and let them get some results from all their hard work. Mm. You know, so, and that's where these adaptogenic herbs work. So we look at Tonkat Ali calms down those adrenals and drives those gonadal responses to free up your hormones to get you all that lovely stuff back. The ashwagandha or withania or whatever we want to call it, smell of a horse I think it translates to, or smell of horse <laughs> piss I think it is actually. Um, yeah, I think that's what ashwagandha means. It's like funny when you get these, you get these delicious tasting ashwagandha products and you're like, did you know ashwagandha described the, the smell of the taste of horse piss so that's why i say smell i've never tasted it um, but um so when um so we've got ashwagandha that drives the gonadal axis and the thyroid axis 
And through driving the gonadal axis and the thyroid axis, that's probably how it may be lowering the cortisol. Don't really know, don't really care which one comes first because it's also an acetylcholine esterase inhibitor, which is a handy thing because it preserves acetylcholine and acetylcholine is one of the major chemicals that drives the parasympathetic nervous system. So just like when we talked about the sympathetic nervous system being an overdrive, the parasympathetic nervous system being insufficient, if we do, the traditional Chinese medicine describe that like an overflowing cup. Mm-hmm. So you can either put a cap on it, you know, do less. So you can either do less or use sedatives or whatever to stop your cup from overflowing, or we can build you a bigger cup. And that's what I love, these things like ashwagandha and tonkat ali. I look at those as things that will build you a bigger cup so you can do more and have more before you overflow with symptoms of stress and anxiety, you know. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's super interesting, and I think this will lead on really, really well to our third third herb that we really want to get stuck into or that's what we want to call it reishi oh yeah I so love that. yeah oh, yeah so good <laughs> this, stuff is, this stuff is phenomenal I, I love how um popular as well medicinal mushrooms have become recent in recent times i think it's the industry's finally like ashwagandha i think where it got you know um people sort of started getting a glimpse of it probably oh actually matt you're the guy that heralded a lot of it coming in the game for sure um with atp before and you know, it was it was since then in that adrenal sort of application, it's become really popular. But reishi, and particularly lion's mane as well, those other um, shiitakes too, they're, they're getting in the spotlight. Now, the thing with reishi that's wicked is how, like I used it recently in a, in a product um, with the goal of trying to make someone's biology just bulletproof, right? Like how can I get someone, and the cool thing as a formulator is it covers your ass in a lot of ways because it doesn't really matter where someone is on the spectrum. If they're completely cooked and burnt and just overworked and just run into the ground and completely just, themselves it'll boot them back up if they're someone who's over who's overstimulated with an overactive immune system or autoimmune stuff or just or hyperactive you know leaky gut or ibs causing a lot of issues with gut integrity and with immune surveillance issues it'll calm that down too it's like one the one thing you can use it'll cover everyone for almost any situation in, in terms of like helping your immune response a bit of stress too and a bit of liver function as well like it's just it's so, it's so cool. So Matt, why don't you dive into pathways? But like the main things you love about it, it says what pathways you like seeing it, you know, modulate and help for, for, for most people, man. What, what do you like about racing? Oh, well, so we've talked about, so Tonkat Ali helps to modulate the adrenal gland directly and drives the gonadal axis. The, the Wathania takes the burden off the stress and the adrenals and drives thyroid and go down. What Reishi does is we mentioned your immune system and antioxidants and all those sort of pathways. So our gut lining it's a 400 square meter surface area. So it's the size of a tennis court somehow fits inside our two square meter skin bag. <laughs> it's amazing really how it even fits. But So that mucosal immunity, that it can be a major part of our stress. 80% of our immune system is found coating that membrane. So what I love about reishi is our immune system is kind of split between three parts. This is a very simplified version. One side kills infections, whether it's a virus or bacteria, fungi itself is, can be an infection. And reishi is a fungus. This is where it's like kind of cool because it's a fungus that kills fungus. Um, um, there's also then there's the allergy side that also deals with parasites and the big dusty stuff. So anything that's too big for the immune system to eat, it kind of flushes away. Um, and then we've got this other part of our immune system known as oral tolerance, which is the one that assesses what's the dose? How aggressive do we want to attack it? 
So what's kind of cool about it is many viruses and many things come in and they can confuse the immune system into like pretending that there are no viruses there. And they'll suppress that part of the immune system. That's how like herpes, HIV, glandular fever, um, dengue fever, Ross River virus, those envelope viruses do that. They live inside the immune cells and trick the immune cells into thinking there's no viruses there. Go flush away allergies. There's no viruses here. You know, and that sort of stuff. Reishi's kind of cool because Reishi comes in to the immune system and says, yeah, there'll be viruses here. Go smash them. Um, it's got, it'll kill the fungi, it'll kill bacteria, um, it'll then also modulate the side of the immune system that does allergies and parasites. And so basically it doesn't really matter which side of that immune seesaw is firing up. It has the ability to calm it and support it, like make it more efficient and then switch it off. So it has the ability to control mucosal inflammation, um, mucosal immunity, um, take the burden off the immune system. It's a good antioxidant, again, on that mucosa. It works through the liver. So that first line of defense when it comes to immune, inflammation, toxic exposure, digestive disorders and that sort of stuff, reishi can help to calm down or dampen or make those defense mechanisms more efficient and thereby takes the burden off the stress nervous system. So the nervous system, so your immune system doesn't have to work so hard Therefore, your body, your adrenals doesn't have to release as much cortisol to switch the immune system off to protect the host from their own defense mechanisms. Because if you don't switch off your immune system, that's how you get autoimmunity. And so this is where reishi comes in. And the thing I wanted to mention about reishi is one of the main active ingredients in it are these sugar molecules called a polysaccharide. Um, and the reason why I mention that, because that's the, the P in the FODMAP. So a lot of people will avoid the reishi thinking it's bad and they, they, I got a, I got a fungal overgrowth in my gut, so I can't eat any more fungus. I mean, you don't have reishi growing in your stomach. Like reishi actually helps to kill off other funguses. That's how it manages to make enough space to grow on its tree by itself. You know, killing off the other fungus and bugs, and it makes sure there's nothing around it. So reishi's a great herb. The polysaccharides you don't have to avoid just because it's a pea and a fodmap diet sort of thing. So mm. reishi's brilliant. And the other thing I loved about reishi, as a dad. Um, and with young kids, it's hard to get them to take all my medicine. Reishi actually tastes a bit like beef stock. And so when we make like a shepherd's pie or we make anything we make at home, I use we use like a – and the dose is around about a teaspoon or something like that for an adult. So I get these reishi powders. I put it – we put it into uh, – as a stock into most of our like savoury dishes and that That's sort cool. of stuff. Yeah. Super, super cool. Yeah. And uh, Will, have you um, have you used this or formulated with reishi before? And and typically, how do you find um, how do you find this uh, you know it, feedback from like I guess a consumer perspective on 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 reishi? One of the best things that I think I, did, I put it in a reishi product I call Everyday Health right now. The idea behind that was I, was I sort of did the brand backwards. I, I was meant to make that first, but um, ironically, I did the, the sort of more hormonal specific products at first, and then came back to it. What I was trying to do was make a product that's like. I looked at people, like a lot of people I travel uh, cross paths with and I'm traveling and, I, and people are, like I said before, they're inflamed, they're stressed, they're overworked, over-caffeinated. Um, and, you know, usually I think what I was trying to do in this particular instance was make, was formulate something that I could have as just a general cure-all sort of thing, you know, like a wellness tonic. Like a, just a, a real foundational formula you could put in that could cover a few of these areas and just ta- try and tackle them as best I could. And, and that was where I put reishi in, um, in there. And I... And I combined it as well with some shiitake and some lines, man. They have some complementary sort of actions too around modulating immunity as well as some other perks. But what I loved about it was the feedback from people who were, because um, where I was initially sort of recommending it was putting it with my adrenal products, restored, like trying to get people to, which has a lot of those ashwagandhas, the lemon balms, the holy basil, a lot of the adaptogens that help with stress and anxiety and, 
and sort of you know taking that burden off the adrenal we spoke about earlier. Um, but when you combined it with something that can also help to, to you know like calm down an over overwhelmed immune system or even pick it up if it's a bit run down and overworked, um, that was what I found had really great anecdotal responses from from customers. Right, they were, they were like, you know, I, I was um you know I was getting sick often, I was run down, I was stressed, I wasn't sleeping well, uh, you know, and I'd, I'd sort of you know throw them on this this concoction which would have you know your classic sort of races alongside some ginsengs and, and and really start trying to re like that put it before build a bigger cup for them right and it, and it's the, the responses have been awesome this this thing's become a juggernaut and, and the, the reason being is just that giving people that bigger cup because it i used to try and approach it as say just stress less with people right i'd try and really really work with people go let's just try you know breathing meditation work breath work try and you know, limit our you know, um, exposure to stresses and i think Unfortunately, in the last few years in particular, it's become harder and harder to eliminate our exposure to stress. I think it's it's, it's part of our environment now, like whether it's environmental, like Matt mentioned, with um, with you know hollow whole factors with uh, our, our sort of environmental burden, we'll just call it. But also just the, the rate, we, the pace we live at now is is quite crazy. So I I'm more about trying to put in things now that build the cup rather than try and stop it overflowing because it's gonna it's going to happen. Like we've got, we've got a lot on our plates, right? With texts, emails, calls, DM, training, family. We have all these things we try and juggle. And it's like, we can't say people don't have those stresses there. They're going to happen. So what, what can we do? And so when I put it, like when I started making this product that had, had ratio in there and people started, it helped them build that bigger cup and that bigger tolerance and that better immune function and really started picking them up a lot. The responses were wicked. So that, that's why I loved using it. When I, when I, when I threw it in there um, at, a, at a nice sort of therapeutic dose, that worked out really really cool and so I've, I've started really focusing more on mushrooms recently and how they can sort of work synergistically with the tongcats and with the ashwagandhas because I, I put them together quite commonly in products like my 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 test booster is sort of a combination of those two you know i use a lot, a lot of tongcat a lot of ashwagandha a lot of shilajit i use shilajit alongside um, reishi in my everyday health and i like i love the synergies of these herbs you know um so it's but the anecdotal response is awesome if you people like if someone's really if you're sick and run down like i'll do this on the road all the time i'll just carry a like a bottle of just straight reishi powder with me. And if I'm feeling really overworked and flogged after a few days on the road, I'll just do a teaspoon of that in the morning um, and another one in the afternoon. And by the next day you wake up and you like, you, you can get over almost anything, you know, like it, it's, it's remarkable what it'll do to you. So um, that's yeah, awesome. If listeners are after something that's like a really good thing to throw in, it just makes you bulletproof. Hey, I love yep. the stuff. That's cool. Well, now you've touched on it. We're going to go on to the one that I know that we've all been waiting for, <laughs> which is like probably the one that I, mm. I know that you guys just love the most in terms of just how amazing this thing is. And a lot of people don't really know what this is, where it comes from, how it's actually created, but we're going to talk about Shilajit. And um, I've actually had some really cool experiences with Shilajit, which I will touch on as well. But um, I know this is probably one of Matt's favorite things. Um, and I'm sure it it's probably right up there on your on your list as well, Will. So let's jump into Shilajit. What is this thing? Is it a plant or is it something else? Yes, it is everything. Um, <laughs> now, Shilajit's a hard one to it explain. It was a plant one. Yeah, it was. It's, it's, it is, eh? What is it, compost? Um, yeah. uh, postbiotic is probably the best way to describe it. It's a postbiotic complex or a postbiotic matrix. And the challenge is, is with shilajit is there is no two shilajits that are the same as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a complicated thing. So I'll try to explain it the best I can. Um, so where shilajit actually comes typically from the Himalayas. So we have these um, lots of rocks, you know, and they've got a lot of cracks between the rocks. And they have these weird plants, a lot of euphorbia species and other species of plants that grow through the cracks of the rocks and now they drop a lot of leaves and bark and sap and all sorts of stuff and they break down and they decompose 
The rocks are full of dirt with microbes and minerals. In fact, depending on what side of the hill you're looking at, as those minerals could be high in iron, they could be high in gold, they could be high in anything, heavy metals even. Um, so what actually happens is the microbes that live in the cracks of the rocks in amongst all the dirt start composting and feeding on the euphorbias and all the different plant species that grows in the cracks of the rocks and it makes this resinous tar stuff like it's called a mineral pitch um, but it's basically the postbiotic complex it's pretty much digested plant matter in minerals that creates a resin that is known as shilajit but in amongst shilajit we have amazing stuff um, because what can actually happen is through the fermentation of these plant metabolites, it actually creates postbiotic compounds. Now, I've got to go back a couple of steps because explain a little bit more about postbiotics. So, you know, Will, and James, you would have seen this, when people, some, I'll take a herb and for me it works great, and then I'll go tell someone else, man, I took this herb, it worked for me great, and then they took it and it didn't work for them or it made them sick or it worked wrong. Often what determines if the herb's going to work for us or not is what microbiome we have living in our stomach and what our gut bugs convert the herbal active ingredients into. So, for example, euphorbia species, pomegranates, a lot of these things, um, herbal uh, green teas, or they contain these things called allagitannins or allagic acid. If you've got the right microbiome in your tummy, it can convert them into these compounds called urolithins. And then that urolithins get absorbed and these urolithins do all this amazing work like hormonal stuff, immune stuff, detox stuff, anti-aging stuff, performance stuff, building mitochondria, driving new fuel. It's like crazy what these things can do. If you don't have the right bugs and your body can't convert those precursors into the active, then it may not work for you. And if, it, if you've got the wrong bugs and it takes those precursors down the wrong pathway, it might be worse for you. So what I love about Shilajit is this process is done outside of the body mm. so when we get that final product to shilajit it's like pre-digested herbal material and when you test it you can actually know exactly what it is and you can get a much more reliable predictable and powerful response than just giving the precursor ingredients from a herb to someone and hoping their gut does what we want it to do That's and this is what i love about shilajit it's like pre-digested herbal material that is made into make postbiotic compounds, which postbiotic compounds are the, the compounds made when probiotic organisms feed on prebiotic fuel. So, you know, we talk about prebiotics, everyone talks about prebiotics, probiotics, boring. Um, what's exciting about it is what those things do when they actually work properly. The, the chemicals they make is what provides the health benefits from having a healthy gut and healthy diet. So, so Shilajit does all of that on the side of a hill for you in a beautiful, luxurious Himalayas with a lovely view. It's so cool. And on top of that, so like you were saying, being a postbiotic, there has been some um, information or some research put out that, you know, for instance, Shilajit could be better, um, better, better for the body to take on um, or up up regulating the amount of coenzyme Q10 that you get rather than just taking coenzyme Q10. Yeah, well, my, coenzyme oh, Q10 is found in our mitochondria. And so what it does is it increases the amount of mitochondria you make. And they did what? I think it was one month, so one gram of shilajit per day for one month gave the same amount of coenzyme Q10 per cell as taking 200 milligrams of coenzyme Q10 every day. And most supplements for CoQ10, I think, are like a 50 milligrams or something anyway. So, I mean, you're looking at 
it's more powerful at building CoQ10 in your body than CoQ10 is. It's crazy. You know? Yeah, so it's very good. And that's one of the ways it's it actually phenomenal. helps right. altitude. You go. That, that was why I put it in. The, like I, I, I loved it, Billy. That, I'm glad you went with there with mitochondrial aspects. I think a lot of people look at Shilajit. Some, it probably popped up more often in test boosters um, in, in the sort of the sports market that, that I sort of work with in. Um, I'm not sure if a lot of people understand entirely how, how why people feel so great on it. But like from a if you want to get someone feeling phenomenal, like just overflowing with energy and just feeling really, you know, giving them that uplift that they're after when, when they're looking for a test boost or looking to, with optimal hormones, I think a lot of where people don't understand is a lot of it is coming from that potentiating that mitochondrial energy production a lot better. You know, I think having that increased, um, and it's quite drastic. Like, like you said, it's, it's just like a three or a four-fold response in what you would get if you supplemented with the next most popular supplement for increasing mitochondrial energy production, right? Like actual proper cellular energy. We haven't spoken too much on it but thus far nervous energy is what a lot of people are running on we're running on adrenaline right it's this it's this flight or fight nervous system based energy we're not looking at actual krebs cycle actual mitochondrial stuff right so when you have something that potentiates your actual cells produce energy more efficiently and more abundantly you get this awesome response in actually like anecdotally just feeling better you just get you're just more more vitality more exuberance more just go right and uh, I love that part of it because it, it it gets a lot of focus as I suppose um, being therapeutic for increasing sperm production, like sixty three percent increases sperm motility, increases free testosterone. But where I love it is increasing nutrient absorption and increasing mitochondrial energy production. That's why I put it in for, for energy in, in everyday health more so than putting it in, um, you know, for anything else really. It was it was about trying and, and nutrient absorption too because I have a lot of um, synthetic um, sort of nutrients in there too. So nutrient absorption I love chili it for as well. But I'm glad you. You guys went straight to the energy part, and as an athlete, James, that is like the big, that's a big ticket item, right? It's, it's how can we get those cells pumping out energy as fast as we can, as efficiently as possible, to drive performance, right? Hundred percent. So well, that's actually what we're going to touch on now. Uh, now we've we've sort of taken the dive into those four things. Now, how can we put this into into play for, say, even just a high performer in their workspace or a high performer on the on the field of sport or, or a competitor? These things, how can they make you better? Like with Shilajit, for instance, if it's going down, you know, the energy pathways and we want to maximize the the way that we work, especially through Krebs cycle and getting that mitochondria to start, you know, producing energy and feeling that vitality, like B vitamins, how do they come into play with all this stuff? How does how do these things work just to make us better as, as an athlete? And I know for myself, when we're talking about, you know, Tonkat Ali in the beginning, um, something that I thought about in terms of being prepared and ready for either fight or flight or rest and digest, when we're on the field and we're about to, you know, the gun's about to go off or the beep's about to go, you're about to hit a, a, a half Ironman or an Ironman or you're about to start a CrossFit competition or you're about to pick up, you know, 120 kilos a hand on a farmer's walk and race 20 meters down and 20 meters back, you need to be in the exact right arousal state to be able to do what task is given. If you're about to lift a, basically putting it this way, the arousal state that you want to be in for lifting a 1RM back squat is a very different arousal state that you want to do when you're about to jump into the water and swim 3.8 Ks for the first leg of an Ironman. Um, you don't want to be getting in there like you're about to lift a 1RM back squat because that energy is just going to be sapped out of you and you're going to be, you're going to be tanking by the time you get you know 10 hours through this thing. So being in that right mental frame of mind and where you need to be and helping and these herbs that we're talking about here can help us regulate where we need to be. If we're a constant stressor, then, you know, you're probably going to not last too long in, in your, um, in your sport, but 
if you're if you're not able to switch from that uh, sympathetic nervous system and back to parasympathetic, you're you're not going to be able to recover well, and you're not going to be able to back up day upon day upon day of training. And maximizing recovery is you know more important um, in most circumstances for a lot of athletes. Um, than actually doing the training themselves. If they don't know how to downregulate and switch off a bit, you're not maximizing any adaptation. You're not utilizing that adaptation. You're not being able to rest in sleep as well as you want to. So I think these things come into play. And, and you know, for me, I even found there was this also this uh, other cool thing that I was listening to some people talk about Shilajit. Um, and I was, I had this uh, bony outcrop on one of my fingers that got in the way on the barbell and the pull up bar a lot. And I was listening to them talk and then it's like, oh, it also goes around the skeletal, the skeletal bones and it also um, helps to um, basically chew away or, or break apart like calcifications on bones. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I've got one of those. And I'd been using Shilajit for about six weeks. Um, and I was like feeling around to see if that's what they were talking about. And I went to feel my finger, this thing I had for three years on my finger that was just in the way and it was painful, man, it hurt. I'd I'd heard all the stories about you're supposed to jam a book onto it and all that type of stuff. Um, and I was feeling around and it was gone. And I was like, oh my God, it's gone. Like I've had this thing for three years and I've been using Shilajit for six weeks and this thing is bloody gone. Oh, and it does the opposite as well. So for example, this is what I love about adaptogens. You know, if you're down, they pick you up. If you're up and anxious, they calm you down. So they help to maintain that, that right zone that you need for your different stresses or sports. Um, but I did a similar, so... I was taking too much of it, all the ginsengs and everything, getting all cranky and toey, and I punched the desk after having a big argument, and I did like this big open compound fracture in my hand, like my finger was just hanging down here somewhere and the bone sticking out and everything. It was great. Um, I had a fishing trip booked um, to go to Cape York fishing for a week, um, five weeks after. So I was a bit upset. Um, <coughs> and so what I did is I used Shilajit, big doses of Shilajit, and um, I got the um, uh, the blend of collagen as a product on the market, Jolt, ATB Science. So I used the Jolt and the Shilajit, um, and three weeks later, they removed the plaster after and healed the open compound fracture within three weeks. They totally removed the plaster, and then five weeks later, I'm fishing Cape York with this thing that was hanging down there like like only five weeks earlier that's you know, hectic. and totally healed up and everything really well within the three weeks. Yeah. Well, that's it's super. Like, that's like, wow. Yeah. Well, that's super interesting. I had the, a similar experience when I came off a mountain bike and I broke T2, T3 spinal processes in my back and I broke four ribs and um, punctured my lung. Oh, I th- now I feel like a pussy. Nah, nah, nah. I'm sitting there talking about getting cranky and breaking my hand, hitting a desk and being upset because I'm not fishing. You broke your back and punctured your lung and like, oh. Nah, well, to be honest, at the time, I just thought I just banged my, I just thought I banged my head at the time and I was just like, oh man, I'll, I'll get in the car and I'll be right. I wasn't feeling all that great. But basically what happened was I had an, an Ironman coming up in five weeks' time. I'd convinced all these people to come and do this thing with me. And I was like, I can't not be there. It's five weeks away. I'm sitting laid up in hospital for five days. Broken back and punched like <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, the thing was, I was just like, I'll maximize my recovery as much as I can. I'll just turbocharge all the recovery things. If I can't train how I want, maximize recovery. Ticking my legs over on the indoor bike. They're just like, yeah, probably don't do that. I was, I was doing that anyway. There was no, there was no like, um, you know, vertebral like uh, displacement or anything. So I was all good in that respect. But I just like, I wanted to recover. And that was one of the things that I used was Shilajit. I went back in for my, uh, my two week scan on 15 days, 16 days, somewhere there. Same deal. They yeah. were just like, How man, are you doing what this? is, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm just like, I'm literally, I'm doing everything. 
I'm not saying do this, guys, but I'm like doing everything you told me not to do, which was sit in bed and play PlayStation for four weeks. And that's yeah. what I didn't do. Yeah. I made sure I was continuing to move, getting out, getting sunlight, getting on, you know, true ground as much as possible, getting in the infrared sauna to increase that heat shock protein release. I was utilizing shilajit and, and those types of herbs. Um, and I was, you know, just making sure I was staying hydrated, eating and sleeping really, really well. And yeah. that's, you know, that just turbocharged everything and you can bounce back much quicker, especially if you're allowing your body to do it and giving it the things that it can utilize to maximize speed and recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially the sleep part too. Like when we're looking at like how to, because I guess you, you asked the question before, how do we how do we implement this to actually help people? How, how do these herbs all play together? Where do you dose and how do you use them? It's probably a relevant thing to touch on. And I think where you, you mentioned sleep, they're sleeping well, right? I think a lot of people spend eight hours in bed, but they don't know what they're doing during that time. Uh, if we tracked it, I think you'd be quite surprised at the amount of REM and deep sleep they're actually getting, right? So I think uh, where where these where these adaptogens probably show the most benefit is 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 you know improving that improving the quality of sleep. That's the main driver of helping shift gears yeah your physiology is never designed to have to have adrenaline and norepinephrine and epinephrine and cortisol present 24 hours a day it needs a period of time without that present needs that eight hours at night without it present to supercharge your recovery to get that you know shift gears back to producing optimal testosterone and growth hormone and get it getting every cellular repair and everything happening right so we we that that supercharging that recovery process like you said a big pillar of that is sleep and a big pillar of great sleep is lowering stresses and i think that's where a lot of those adaptogens do shine right like I think Tonkat, like you mentioned before, Matt, that can help drop the cortisol. It can help improve sleep quality. Asperganda as well, at probably doses of 300 to 600 milligrams, drastically improves sleep quality for myself anecdotally. Um, these, these, are, these are great times to introduce it. If, if, I think a lot of people might might sometimes struggle to get in certain things. If their schedule doesn't allow, they might not find time to get in, you know, saunering or, or doing, you know, going for, you know, getting in some low intensity cardio or something. But um, a lot of times we can, everyone sleeps, right? So mm. this, this is a common ground we can help with everyone. It's like, well, if, if one massive, you know, lever we can pull is, is to try and improve sleep quality. And that, and that can, in a lot of people, take a lot of burden off, off the system, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I like you touched on, you said you didn't just, the recommendation was just lay there and veg out, right? Because I think that's what the traditional sort of thought process is when people are trying to spend time in rest and digest. It's meant that you just be a couch potato. But the, I'm really glad you actually you know, embellished on that. So much of the things I did was, is active recovery, right? Because I've experienced this personally too, where recently I had a bit of a, a real overtraining burnout period. And for about two weeks, my heart rate variability just tanked, like just dropped. And I like, like it went down in, it was, it was sitting as low as like, you know, 24s, 18s, you know, 27s and stuff, like really just flogged, right? And it wouldn't bounce back up. I'm like, okay, I'll probably overtrain here for a period. I'll back off weights. I'll take a, a deload week off gym, see what happens there. And I took a week, so I took a, you know, I normally train six days a week, just completely stepped out of a gym for a week. Um, and just couch potatoed it completely, just did basically bugger all. And um, it just stayed there, just stayed low, flatlined. Just had no, didn't bounce back at all. And I was like, that's really interesting. I would have think, I would have thought taking a week off this, you know, quite a, you know, I suppose you get quite a, training is a, a stress, but it's a good stress, but it's still a stress, right? I thought removing that that load would, would probably encourage it to bounce back and probably be a recovery tool. But it wasn't until I started putting in some nice, you know, morning walks. I did like a 45-minute morning walk. Um, when I got back into gym, I started doing it light. It just stopped blood flowing, got moving, did it, did it at the right time of the day as well. I did it more in the morning to try and get that morning cortisol surge happening. The HIV bounced back in like three days. Um, so it was really remarkable. It, it's counterintuitive sometimes. What people think to de-stress is just do nothing. But it's it, a lot of times it, 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 the body is meant to move. The body is meant to, you know, I suppose, uh, movements in itself is such a critical part of regulating our stress response and imposing stresses on it that it can recover from. You know, that, that's when you mentioned cold, you know, cold and heat shock therapy proteins and stuff like the the crps and stuff like 
the body's those tattooins, you know, the, our body has these ancient sort of mechanisms to respond to stresses that help it improve, you know, and there's you know, seven different tattooins, and, and these are very, very old architectures that respond to stresses and improve our you know, cellular autophagy and repair and turnover and do these great things. So you need stress in your life and you need it at the right times. You need it, but you just need it at a recoverable amount, right? You need an amount your body can, can thrive from by, by overcoming it. But we, I think when we, athletes are always ambitious people. We're often people that are very driven and we like to just go, well, if, you know, one weight session is good, two is better. Let's do two. <laughs> then, oh, two plus cardio. Oh, cool. It's, it's always more. More is better. More cardio, more pre-workout, more stimulants, more, less, less calories. Is always, you know, sort of in the bodybuilding background. That's where we come to it from. Um, and so often it's just, it's, you know, just trying to uh, reprioritize how you recover is a big, a big part of the equation. Um, especially when it's a broken back and spine. That's that's probably a great example of really highlighting how powerful it can be if you do it right. So, um, yeah. yeah, really great, really great story there, mate. Yeah, uh, yeah. You mentioned something. Well, you mentioned something there then that was important um, and insightful to talk more about because. We talked about the fact that have a good deep sleep is so important for recovery. And one of the key features of a deep sleep is low cortisol. So what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to have very low cortisol at night, go into a big trough so we have none. It drops right off. And then during the day, we're supposed to have high cortisol. So in the morning, we're supposed to get a cortisol surge because cortisol blocks serotonin and wakes us up. It, it suppresses the inflammation and immune system, so it oils the work so we can get up and move in the morning. Most people actually die just before that, uh, before the sun comes up because their cortisol is the lowest and most aspects of aging or death are inflammatory. So what happens is that at night we're supposed to go really low in cortisol and, yeah, in the movies with the matrons, they walk in, they open up the curtain, good morning, and get the sun in and whip open the good morning, everybody, you yell it all out and because it's supposed to wake up with a cortisol surge, all right? So sometimes that's where your exercise, your morning walks, you're doing those things to just prime that cortisol surge in the morning, get it up when it's supposed to go up because it needs to drop at night. And what actually happens when we have ongoing inflammation, injury, stress, toxic exposure, whatever, immune activity, that could happen 24 hours a day. So what's happening as the cortisol is trying to drop at night to go into a deep sleep, if we get a stress trigger, which could be acid is another one, you know, the metabolic waste from training too much. So metabolic waste, um, inflammation, immune activity, they'll all drive your nervous system picks up on that through the night and it'll increase cortisol and that stops you from going into a deep, refreshing sleep. So retraining your body as part of your rehab to have good cortisol during the day and drop that cortisol at night is really important because it's when the cortisol drops at night that the other systems are allowed to work. So it's only when your cortisol drops at night that your body will make hormones. Um, or it's only when your cortisol drops at night that your body will do the detox or do the immune system cleanup. You know, so remember you get into those really deep sleeps and you sweat like a pig. You wake up like going, what the fuck? Like I've woken up in menopause or something, you know. It's like that. that's when your cortisol goes really low and your immune system starts cleaning up or your detox pathways get a chance to work. Also, cortisol holds water in your body. And when the cortisol drops, you can actually drop how much your blood pressure can drop enough and then allows your brain to swell. And then you get this weird glymphatic pumping. That's how we protect our brain and fix things like concussion and prevent dementia. So these are things that are so important. They're all about regulating cortisol fluctuations. It's so important to have high cortisol to switch off the inflammation and immune activity and then low cortisol when we need a chance to regenerate and repair. So we've got to get those. And flatlining cortisol is bad. You know, that's what we don't want. <laughs> it's so interesting. Well, guys, I'm. thank you so much for, for jumping on a 
this podcast with us. Well, I'm sure we'll have to have you back because we could talk about a million and one we'll other just different. Just do one herb at a time. I think. Yeah, we could we could go for an hour about one at a time, but. Uh, like, I think that'll wrap it up for today. But, um, mate, I've had such a blast listening to you guys talk about this stuff. I, I feel like I've learned so much more than what I thought I knew prior to this. So I really appreciate your time, Will. And, um, yeah, and thanks heaps, Matt, for just discussing all these different types of things. And I'm sure we'll get you back. We'll, we'll choose another three or four and, and we'll hit it again. Beautiful, man. We'll look forward to it, mate. Thanks heaps for giving us this opportunity. I think trying to trying to spread, this, spread the word on particularly this topic today, which is very heavily adrenal focus. I think that's been my my big sort of, you know, life's work for the last few years and a lot of my focus, a lot of my seminars and talks and so on has been, has been this. So the opportunity to get this onto a broader audience and start spreading the word as much as I can is, is very much in line with what I'm trying to do as a person, you know, so I'm, I'm yeah, really grateful you guys got me on for it. Thank, thanks for having me. Great. We appreciate thanks, it, mate. Man. I'll speak to you soon.